0: King Randeau and
1: YYFM. You're listening to YYFM. This content has been provided by Keep Cardiff Live. For more music news and interviews, visit keepcardifflive.com. Danny Chang, thanks
0: very much for joining us on Keep Cardiff Live today with me and uh, Tony. Uh, just just before we started, we were talking about YouTube, known each other um, nearly 30 years, um, and the original connection was to do with a very dubious um publication Dan maybe you can tell us a bit more about that.
1: I got a call from um, Tony Barnes and he he had got in with the Viz people and I think that he had even suggested to the Viz people look you know your magazine's fantastic why don't we do some animation and uh, try and get a series away and uh, Billy the Fish was my first one and um, and that was really exciting because you felt part of the buzz because viz had such a huge following and then this tv series came out and it i think it was on channel four initially um mm. and it did really well then i think either came roger melly or sid the sexist um roger melly was peter cook doing the voices that's
2: right yeah and
1: possibly Possibly Harry Enfield was in Tony, I can't
2: Harry Enfield and Peter Cook in the same room together doing uh, the, the voices. And, and I, I mean, that was just something to be amazed at anyway, isn't it? Those two together, you oh.
1: know. Oh, stunning, you know. Um, and Roger Melly was, uh, that was, that was an interesting one because it was so harsh at the time, um, you know, the language and stuff. And then we did, um, oh, hang on, it was like a, not the children in need. What is it? It's like that big thing that Lenny used to front. Is it comedy? Yeah,
2: the oh. the, the comedy uh comedy red nose thing, or, you know
1: what is it?
0: Not the red nose thing.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, red nose thing. Red nose, yeah. And uh um, and we did a we did a special one with um Roger Melly, sort of answering questions with Lenny Henry and
0: uh <laughs> I'd never seen that. And that
1: you know, that was that was really good and that that gives you instant credibility all of a sudden i was credible because like you know i'm i'm working on this stuff and of course later i went on to work with lenny henry on the uh, oscar nominated famous fred which um which we were nominated for a bafta for and that, that was um a good period of my life you know um hooking up with lenny and writing songs for the show and stuff and working with him so it's amazing how things start off you start off with tony barnes then you get the viz stuff and then once you've got a profile people start calling you who did that and then you know your your industry starts then you know
0: so so lenny henry i've, I've never met him but i know someone who knows him because he uh, lenny henry recently i think completed his phd if i'm right saying that and uh, right, okay. a, a friend of mine also did his phd with him and he just said well you know what an absolutely lovely, unassuming, funny guy, you know, just just a nice guy, you know. So. so.
1: Yeah, and he he loves talking about music. When we went for um, yeah. whenever we went for dinner or stuff like that, you know, we, he was always talking about music. And he wasn't um, he wasn't bothered about the star thing. We did a lot of recordings in um, in North London in a studio uh, where Zomba used to be. Um, Oh, yeah. They had uh, a couple of great awesome. studios there, so we did some stuff there, and then we went down to Stuart Epps' place, which was down in Cookham. And Stuart used to work with Gus Dudgeon, and he was in the studio area where Jimmy Page had his studio. So you had Jimmy Page had his studio, and then, um, and then next door was Stuart Epps' place, which was a a very um, vintage. Uh, sounding studio but it was lovely it had a great vibe and mm-hmm. we did some um, songs down there with lenny and uh it was you know it they they were good times so And of you- course the the um i know i'm going to go on and rabbit on a bit
0: no it's good i like you rabbiting
1: <laughs> when um okay so when when we were sort of uh, um nominated for the bafta and the film was nominated for the Oscars, right? So, um, I went to the BAFTAs because I, because I wasn't personally nominated for the um, for the Oscars, I, I didn't want to spend the money. But I spoke to my manager Jim, and he said, "Look, go to the Oscars," because um, Jim, my manager, works with uh, Elton John and Ed Sheeran, so you know he's a, he's a handy guy. So. Jim says, look, I've got you into the Elton John party if you want to go to, um, you know, go to the Oscars, you know? So I was kind of weighing up thinking, oh, okay, shall I go, because that would be great fun. But then um, my dad was getting old, so I I took my dad to the BAFTAs, you know? Oh yeah. And um, while I'm, th- th- this, is, this is, you know, crazy stuff. So I'm up the BAFTAs and before I got to the BAFTAs, I was working with David Emanuel and I knew I was going to the BAFTA. I said, David, how much should I, you know, how much should I pay for a, you know, a, a dinner suit? Because mm. I'd never really bought a dinner suit before. And he said, oh, I, th- I think about 400 pounds would do, Danny. And that was a lot of money to me in those days, you know.
0: A lot of money to me. so uh,
1: I then, you know, <laughs> I bounced around Cardiff looking for a, a dress suit around about 400 quid and I could only, I could only find one for 200 quid, you know? And I'm going mm. like, oh no, I want to spend 400 pounds, you know? But I bought this 200 pound suit. And then uh, we arrive at the, at the Albert Hall and I'm walking down the red carpet and there's always people outside and the paparazzi are there. Mm. Absolutely no f- photographs being taken of me at all. And then behind me is um, Alan Rickman, God rest his soul and you know there's a pile of photographs being taken of him so you know I I get into the uh, Albert Hall and they show me to the table and stuff and reception and I'm walking around and um, I bump into Michael Caine and I'm looking at his suit and I'm looking at my polyester pile of crap and I'm looking at his suit and thinking oh my god that is a suit and then um I looked over and sitting on her own was um, uh, one of the Bond girls, uh, Ursula Andress. And uh, I was kind of thinking, oh, God, you know, I've always fancied her, you know, ever since the Bond films. I thought, oh, should I go and, you know, let her know who I am? But uh, I I didn't have the balls to do that. But um, the the biggest level, because I'm feeling pumped up, you know, walking around, i at the Albert Hall, seeing all these celebrities and having chats to various them, being introduced to... Fantastic people. And then at the night, at the end of the night, when everyone's like had a good few drinks, the paparazzi go around to the back of the Albert Hall and as celebs are falling out, they're looking for someone coming out with the wrong wife mm. or you know massively <laughs> drunk or whatever. And uh, as I came out the back door, there's this surge of photographers. And then I hear someone at the back say, oh, don't worry, it's nobody. <laughs> and i thought okay that's uh, that's what my
0: life is at the moment but all good wow. fun yeah what a great i mean what a great uh, uh, series of recollections there going off of his magazine you know um we we <laughs> we, we, we we know you uh, you're sitting in a new studio now in, in, which looks beautiful by the way which we'll talk about in a bit it looks absolutely gorgeous the grain store i think in commandonshire um, and Danny, you, 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 I mean, I know you a little bit as a kind of a musician, songwriter, producer, I suppose. you I was at a studio as long as I kind of know yeah. you, really. But um, you, you did start off playing in bands. I mean, Nigel isn't with us today, Nigel Foyle, but because you, you spent a lot of time working with Nigel, I think you got signed up for a record deal. I think you played Reading, this kind of stuff. Am I right in thinking that? You had big festivals and gigs? Yes. Yes.
1: Um... Prior to Nigel, um, I'd, I'd been in a punk band and I'd done the London pub circuit with a band called Dozy. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to be a rock star. That's the only thing I ever wanted to be was a rock star. But, you know, when you, when you keep going up to London back and forth, uh, you know, three nights a week, and I was keeping a day job going to supplement everything, you know, yeah. everyone um, gets worn down, yeah. you know. And when you play London, you're normally supplementing it because no one pays you up there. So, uh, I, I think we were just worn out, and uh, the band the band split up. But I, I just you know knew that I had to put a new band together. Mm. So I was down Harron Rugby Club watching a band, and Nigel's band was there. I th- uh, it must I think it was Graffiti. I think it was it, and um, you know I didn't particularly like the band, but I liked Nigel. I, you know he had the image. But um, I think for the encore, they did uh, I've Got the Music in Me by Kiki D. And there's, there's oh, some wow. really big notes there. Yeah, And he pulled it off. And uh, I thought, oh, God, I really like that guy. And um, but I didn't get to talk to him after the gig. And so I put an advert in the Echo saying I did, I, I'd heard his name was Nigel. And I said wanted vocalists like Nigel from this band, uh, you know, could someone, you know, could you get in touch or whatever? And his friend said, you know, Knight, have you seen this advert in The Echo? Uh, it's, it's you. This guy's asking for you. So um, he rang me up and then we, we started our, our partnership together, which, uh, you know, we've, we've had an up and down relationship because we, we met each other when, um, you know, when we were young. and um, And he was a prolific songwriter. So when we finally signed to Magnet, he couldn't stop writing, and and my ego was shattered. I couldn't keep up with him, and and uh, and it's one of those things that you know was frightening me. Instead of I wasn't of the age where I was inspired by it. I was, you know I was scared of it. But mm. um, you know he and I got on really well, and he was like you know he, you know he's one of my best friends. And then um, the demise of... uh, We only had that recording contract for one year. Was it just Good Friends?
0: Was that just Just Good good Friends? Friends,
1: Yeah. 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 That's it. Mm. And we played Reading Festival in 1982.
0: What was that like? Um, I've seen some pictures. I imagine it was great. I don't know.
1: It's... Okay. It is fantastic. But Mm. we're the opening act, right? Now, years ago, there was a, a... a tour manager called Ray Davis, who's tour manager for Sassafras. Okay. And this guy was something to do with the Marquee. He, he was part of an agency, and I think in those days it was the Marquee that ran, um, yeah, that ran the festival or something like that. So one day, one night, we we're with Ray, and he says, and it's an evening, and he said. Uh, I can get you on Reading Festival but we have to go now and seal the deal and we have to be up there before 10 o'clock so it's like this mad rush up to London I've got my Ford Capri my brown Ford Capri yeah. and so Nigel myself and uh, and Ray went up there mm. got to the marquee went to a pub he did the deal and so we we came back home but it was like it was a bit panicky because uh, we were scared of the deadline, and then we played Reading Festival. But we, <laughs> typical, you know, typical boys from Wales. We didn't know that there was accommodation for us, so um, we got there on the Friday night. We're opening up on Saturday. We got there on the Friday night, um, Budgie headlining, and we're walking around and oh, picking wow. up the vibe. And then when it when it comes to uh, when it comes to sort of bedding down for the night. You know, we couldn't get a, a bed and breakfast anywhere, so the three of us slept in my Ford Capri, <laughs> not knowing that there was that there was accommodation for us. You know, it was just it ridiculous.
0: And, I, I, and the other thing, I can't thing imagine about, that
1: actually. It was,
0: <laughs> I'm trying to think which way around you would. Have. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: it wasn't a great night's sleep, and I think we went to. um we went to a, a local swimming bath to have a wash and everything before the show. Mm. And, um, and it, there's all this bravado with rock band, you know, you, we were backstage and, and there's like, you know, Tigers of Pantang and all these, all these big rock bands and they're all walking around puffed up and hair and oh, yeah. you know, hi, you know, oh yeah, I saw you in the States when we were touring. And it's mm. all this kind of, you know, it is Spinal Tapish. And there's kind of us you know um, my keyboard stand was made of uh, piping that a a plumber had put together for me you know um, there was like extension leads plugs that we took that were like strewn across the stage we were so unprofessional you know Mm -hmm. but we had a great time and from then we then got the the deal with magnet who, who
0: was who was in the band then was Dave doing the involved then am I right in thinking it?
1: Was that oh, Dave Durnley, of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Dave Durnley was on guitar. Dave always looked like a rock star. You know, he, yeah, just, he, still does. he just looks like an aged hanging rock star. So yeah. he looked terrific.
0: He's born looking like that way. We
1: had the big man. Sorry, what was that, Steve?
0: He was born looking that way, wasn't he, Dave?
1: He was, yeah. yeah. And um, and then we had the big man, uh, Dave Watkins? David Watkins on drums. yeah. yeah. And I think a week before the festival date, mm. our original bass player dropped out, couldn't make it. So we had a rehearsal with Tafe Ball. Do you know Tafe Ball?
0: Yeah. Only by name and reputation.
1: Mm. Okay, well, Tafe um, mm. kind of always followed Pino Palladino. So when Pino no, left right. one band, kind of Tafe would be in it. He did a lot of stuff with Barbara Thompson. and mm. Oh my God. A, he's a fantastic bass player, but he, he can charm the women. It's like women seem to flock round. Take it's going too far now. <laughs> you know, it's like you just can't get a look in. And, you know, yeah. of course, all of us are always looking for women, always yeah. looking for women. Yeah. But, um, so it was, uh, we got away with it with the, by the skin of our teeth. Um, and we, uh, we did a version of um, You Really Got Me. And that went on the Live at Reading album. So they, they put that track on. Now, if you listen to the whole album, after all the tracks, there's this massive applause. After our track, it's like, and they fade it out really quickly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I had that album, you know. Was it, am I right? Is that the one with Rory Gallagher on it? Is that the right album?
1: I can't remember. It's ages since I've seen
0: yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I've lost it now. I've lost her in lots of ways, as should probably know. But then, so then you, you went on to have a deal. Did Pete Morgan get involved with you in something at one stage, the bass player, Pete Morgan? Am i thinking of someone else. No,
1: what we did was, um, we, oh, here's another story. It's always back to egos and, and where you are in your life.
0: That, yeah.
1: Nigel and I had always produced our demos, right? We, you know, we were fairly good producers.
2: Mm.
1: We love producing. We've done a lot of acts as well. And, um, when we were going up to record the, uh, the single one night, we were, we were going to Ridge Farm. The record company rang up the night before and said, well, we got Pete Hammond producing. Mm -hmm. Pete Hammond had done the Bell Stars, but he did, I think this is the Stockacre Waterman connection. He had, um, he had done all the 12 inch remixes of, you know, Kylie and all those things. So, Mm -hmm. He was a great producer for the 80s. And, um, and my tenuous connection to Mike Stock was Mike Stock was a year ahead of me in, in school. We were both in the same school together. Oh, and really? then friends of mine went on to play with Mike. But um, So I've now got the phone call from Magnet saying, well, you know, you and Nigel aren't producing. It's going to be uh, this guy, Pete Hammond. So that was a kick. And then we got to Ridge Farm. Ridge Farm's a beautiful uh, studio. And we met with Pete Hammond uh, on the morning of the session. And I went into this long spiel with Pete Hammond. I said, look, you know, production's about the emotion and the connection to the music and the arrangements and the stuff like that. And I did this big spiel of, you know, why Nigel and I should be... um, Producing it and not him, and he said he was really gracious. He said, "Yeah, you know it's okay, but just come on, just just have a little listen." And he brought an arranger with him, um, and you know we've looked at the uh, we've looked at the track one night, and we think it should open like this. And this arranger put like a couple of chords down, and it sounded fantastic. And for the rest of the session, I just shut my mouth. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, I mean, these are all things that you learn, you know, it's like, you know, you have that bravado uh, as a, an aspiring young musician, but you meet so many people who then become your mentors and have been in the business for years and you've just got to learn from them. And that's, you know, from that point on, I then did more listening than talking.
0: Yeah, which is, which is normally, normally quite a good thing. I don't get the option in my house, but that's, that's another story, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I'm right in saying you started off in kind of uh, like you, you early, early on, you, you, you know, your production stuff. Was it cottage industry or something like this you had going in Panaf Dan, something
1: like that? Um, I started my own label. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was managed at the time by Olaf Wiper. Um, uh, and, and Nigel was managed by Olaf as, as well Olaf Wiper uh is an old fashioned industry guy he was um he was like one of the uh, directors of CBS at one stage then he Cube Records um he managed um the guys that did uh, Einstein a go go can't remember the names oh yeah he was also publicist for David Bowie He was publicist for um uh, or press officer for um mark bolan so this guy had all all this experience and um i opened up cottage industry record to just be able to release stuff and, and olaf was was part of that as well okay and um and it was okay but you know being in the record business and i've I've been in actual manufacturing records and producing them for a long time. Mm. You never make any money out of them. They, they just drain everything. And, and you, you know, I had limited resources. And, of course, you want to do the best recordings you can. And sometimes that, that's expensive. And then when the artist that you've signed doesn't become a major star within three weeks, then all of a sudden it's all my fault. Mm. So you have to deal with all that. There's a, a psychology to it. And um, you know, like most of my ventures, when I branch away from writing, music, or television, I usually fail at them because I just, you know, I—that's uh, it, not my business, you know.
0: But you—you you moved away from Penarth, and and a few years later, you ended up in a place I've not been to, which sounds really idyllic—is uh, Garway Hill, in in the Herefordshire
1: area. Yes, and yes. sort of started afresh um,
0: there. Yeah.
1: Well. Um, in the there's a period in your there's a there's a period in your business right yeah. where everything you touch turns to gold you know when you've been working uh, at a business a long time and there's kind mm-hmm. of like a 10 year period of 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 getting to the point when you're at the top of the game mm-hmm. then there's that 10 year period where everything just goes right and then there's this long slide down, which is where I found myself. So, in my heyday, when televisions, uh, when my television career took off, I had so much work on, and it was all animation work, that I then took on a couple of other composers. Colin Edwards was one, um, uh, Rob Reed's done some great stuff for me, mm. and so, you know, for me to keep up with the the, the output, I had to bring other people in and they did uh, brilliant work for me. And then the money rolls in. And when the money rolls in, if you've had a couple of successful shows, it rolls in all in one or two years. So I went from earning very little and I've I've come from a modest background to all of a sudden earning 300, 350,000 a year for a... over a three or four year period so with no with no experience with dealing with with money of that size it comes in you look at 350,000 it's in your bank account you know any intelligent person would look at that 350,000 pounds and say uh, 50% of that has got to go to tax you know and all the other stuff right Mm -hmm. But no, you, you know, you look at the money, you think, oh, you know, I, I can do other things with it. I can, you know, I can get tax relief. And and you you build up this picture that somehow you can keep all that money. So over a three or four year period, I did everything stupidly that, that wasn't my core business. I'm a composer, but I wanted to make films. I wanted to run a record label. Um, I hired people to do things that that weren't particularly good, but I was just obsessed with like earning this money and trying to, to become this like business mogul or magnet or, or whatever. And yeah. it came crashing down. Yeah. And when it came crashing down, it happened so quickly. Uh, you know, I'm in a big house overlooking the sea and within nine months, I was almost homeless and I couldn't keep up with the debt. At one point I owed a million pounds. The one great thing about the bank is that the more you borrow, the more the bank will lend you. And then in the end it all came crashing down and um, uh, it ended in divorce. I had a terrible acrimonious divorce with my ex-wife and it all fell apart and I managed to get, uh, I, you know, I said I'm going to have to get away from everything. I mothballed my studio and moved up to a little place in Herefordshire where I rented for a bit. And then I met Helen, um, my partner, who, who basically saved me. She just, she was able to finance me in those um, those couple of bad years. The one thing that happened I couldn't write music anymore for two years I didn't write a thing because uh, when you're when you write music for a living um, everything you do is that like, well you know it's not going to earn anything so I was never writing music just for the pleasure it's like I'm writing for some reason of earning money and I fell into this real deep depression and then I we we moved to Galway Hill a, a lovely little cottage and we we set up a new studio and then I, I sat down and I wrote music just for writing music's sake. And um, I formed a little band yes. within the village. And then I drafted in Nigel to come and, and front it. There yeah. was a band called, um, There Was a Crooked Man. Yeah. And From that point on, mm. I then felt uh, more confident about getting back to music. When you're confident, then a couple of other, you know, TV jobs came in, and then oof, it uh, it all took off again. Not as not as big as it was, but no. in a more sensible way.
0: So, so there, there was a Crooked Man, of course, my band did a gig with yours at, uh, at The Globe, which was uh, a very ambitious, yes. yeah, very ambitious thing actually to do, wasn't there, to book The Globe, but by hook up by Crooked, and a lot to Nigel's credit, I think, actually, managed to get enough bodies in there to kind of make it worthwhile, but I think half of Galway yeah. were, were, were there that night, and I mean, that, 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 yes. that, 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 that band, um, I don't Hang not on a minute, hard. hang on a minute.
1: I'm just going to dump this call, sorry. Okay. Yeah, we're just going to wait.
0: This might be the best bit. It's
1: <laughs> a great. Oh, no, this. Probably an ex artist demanding royalties from me.
0: Probably. Lawyer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so there was a crooked yes. man. We, so we did, we did this gig together at the globe and I was trying to think what genre I would put it in, but in a way it sort of doesn't matter because it was sort of very idiosyncratic, you know, going back to what you said about writing stuff that you kind of just wanted to write. It was kind of, yeah. was, that, that was the kind of vehicle that you were riding at that moment and you kind of lived that that experience and that's what it was, wasn't
1: it? It was. And the the other thing is that, that um, we made every. The rest of the band didn't have any experience in playing in a in a band, and they would never written before. And uh, and we made them write songs. You know, we said, look, you've got to come up with a song, and they'd never written before, but they came up with a couple of gems. And I think that it just goes to show, anyone can write a song. You just have to apply yourself to it. I think where people fail is that they'll you know they'll write a couple of chords and they'll sit down and go, oh, that's crap. Mm. But you you've you've got to write through the crap and gradually it's like being an athlete the more you do it the easier yeah. it becomes yeah
0: i mean i remember them being a nice bunch of guys and i also remember when we turned up for the sound check you were outside and you had a ukulele in your hands and then that, that ukulele became a key part of probably what we would say was probably
1: the hit song really wasn't it i guess you wrote it did you? it was yes we uh we wrote everything's going my way now and yeah. um and we got it on to um uh a number one film, an animated film in the wow. um, in Germany, and they used it on the outgoing credits. You know, yes. and it's like
0: it's a lovely song. Just great. Yeah, good fun. Yeah, and it, it really, I mean, it's just. I suppose it's sort of an indication of the simplicity of the song. You can just stand there with the ukulele in the street and play it, and you go on a stage and play it. And yeah. The song just works, doesn't it? You know.
1: But, when I, I would, I'd come back from um, Helen and I had come back from a, a meeting in Germany and. Um, We were going to take a couple of days off because we had driven to Germany so we could have a look around. And we stopped off in Whitstable. And Whitstable is a a lovely little uh, Kentish sort of seaside place on the estuary. A lot of Londoners go there for their holidays. Anyway, so we we go to Whitstable and and we're looking around. And in this junk shop is this ukulele. And it was 12 quid. And um, I said, oh, do you know what? I think that that could be something that I could use, you know, uh, never played ukulele before, um, bought it. Then we had to buy strings. I think the, st- we had to go around to Herne Bay to buy the strings. The strings were more money than the, than the ukulele itself. Yeah. So I strung it up, went onto YouTube, uh, managed to, uh, uh, get tuition on, on a couple of chords and how to tune it. And then, immediately you know once i've got four chords immediately wrote that song and it it was it was that that simple and yeah. uh, the funny thing about songwriting i don't i don't know if you if you've come across this but for me outside of it must be something to do with my television upbringing is that you know when you're on a deadline and uh, like the last movie i did they did a soundtrack album and they wanted 10 songs and those 10 songs came very quickly because i had the i had the deadline so if i'm doing something now it will be i'll start with the project that project is the thing so i start with the project i don't know what it is yet but that's what it is
0: yeah
1: so recently i'm doing um a a, a crosby stills and nash and young type band down here so it's uh it's doing those three or four part harmonies i'm mm-hmm. um, using some young players down here yeah so i had to write some material for them just to get the project going you know I, you know i want other people to write because i can't write it all so i've been toying with this project once i would nailed the project i then got up and said to helen i'm going to the studio today because i've got to come up with some stuff normally when i get into the studio i'll have one one track in mind I'll lay down a drum track, do a little bit of guitar, map it out, bass and stuff like that, and then do some guide vocals. This, I didn't have bloody time for. It, first of all, the tune started flowing, and I started um, trying to, to map it out, and then another one was coming in, so I thought, shit, I'm gonna have to just get that one out of the way, so I quickly got that down. Another one came in, with another one behind. I wrote five tunes so quickly, uh, that I in the end I was just one guitar and humming the bloody tune or some gash yeah. lyrics yeah. to get it down and, and I and that's not that's not saying how great a songwriter I am I, I'm just saying that sometimes that's how the flow is and you can't ignore the stuff coming behind in the past I've maybe woken up at three o'clock in the morning with a, a tune in my head and I'll be so tired and you just think oh I I'm not going to get up. I'll remember it in the morning.
0: Never do. And I don't. Never do. <laughs> you know. One? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. What
1: I found now is that if a song is waking me up in the night. Mobile, mobile phone is your friend, Danny. <laughs> oh, I, 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 yeah. The thing is, we got, we got very little signal down here. But Yeah, I know. But just um, record
0: a few notes or something, you know. I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. Really, I should do something like that. Have something ready for me. But now I get up no matter what time because I find that if a song is being given to me and however you think, you know, where a song comes yeah, yeah, from, yeah. you yeah. know, that if it's being given to me, it's going to be bloody disrespectful for me to ignore it. So whatever happens now, mm-hmm. I always come in and, and put the song down immediately. I, do find,
2: you- uh, I find with the, the songwriter, it's normally when you're in the shower. <laughs> if you're, you're in the shower and you think of some lyrics you think when I get out of the shower and I've tried to get dressed I'll write that down and you get out of the shower and you do all that and then two hours later you think, I can't remember anything yeah. that yeah. happened yeah
1: happened yeah, yeah 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 I know it, it, it's really annoying and I've just learned that from experience
0: <laughs> what, I'm, what I think is interesting about you and the way, the way you work is um, and, and you kind of identified it and I don't know whether you actually generally you seem to have that awareness of, of of how you do things, which is unusual, actually, uh in, in a lot of uh, most human beings, I think. But you're talking about how you kind of you you have this thing, and that's the thing, you know. And like I say, you know, with the uh, uh there was a crooked man, that was a particular thing. But then you left that thing, and then yeah. moved on to another thing, and another thing you did working on. That is 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 totally different, you know. I suppose it's like you were almost the handle, the, the, you know, the hooks. I suppose that you you hang the stuff on. Is that is that the way it
1: works? Well, that's how it feels. Now, coming back to Nigel. So, Nigel and I hadn't worked with each other for years, apart from uh, there was a crooked man. And, of course, that's where I got back in touch with Nigel. Mm. And then I started to put this um, progressive rock band together called the Kentish Spires. Yes. Now, you look at, you know, I always look at how, how the business is doing and how can I shoehorn into that business? Now the progressive rock business is, is basically musicians who, who try to be as clever as anything. And a lot of the bands sound like yes, or they sound like Genesis and and they're too technical. So I looked at the Canterbury scene and you know, cause I lived in Kent. So I remember bands like Caravan and uh, Matching Mole and, and people like Camel, that sort of ilk. And they're really tuneful. Not only are they tuneful, they're eccentric. They're mm. eccentric English people or eccentric British people. And I love that. I love, you know, they can write about anything, you know, you can pop Van de Graaff generator in that same, you know, these are mad bonkers people who are not saying how brilliant they are musically. They're saying that, you know, this is the things that are mostly attached to them. So I looked at those acts and there aren't many acts like that in the progressive rock. And I thought, okay, I'm going to start a band and um, I'm going to have a female singer. So it's very much like, um, there was a band called Affinity years ago or um, Curved Air. So you have this iconic singer. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd met this, I'd met this vocalist, uh, Lucy Vox, when I recorded the album by Thunderstick. Um, Thunderstick was the drummer in Samson, and he was in Iron Maiden for a day or something, I don't know, but he's, he's quite iconic. He used to wear a, a gimp mask and was on the covers of uh, The Enemy and Melody Maker and stuff like that. But he's a very self-absorbed person. Hmm. And uh, very narcissistic. And when he came to record the album at our place in um, in Garway Hill, I he he wasn't a giver. He wanted all the attention, and uh, and he and I brought Lucy in to sing for him, and uh, and he really liked Lucy's voice and everything. But he was too much about himself. And then he ended up getting rid of her and, you know, because she, she had too much attention. People say, my God, what a brilliant voice, instead of, oh, my God, there's that fat guy in a mask who used to be in Samson and Iron Maiden."
0: Toss of a coin. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, um, so when I was thinking about the Kentish Spires, um, I roped in an old mate of mine who lived in Kent, and he loved progressive rock music, and I said, look, I want to start this band and um and i i want it to be uh you know there's got to be a 20 page booklet it's got to be have some kind of theme so each album cover is going to have a similar album cover so you you relate to it straight away you understand the marketing and then you talk about how you recorded the album what mics you use all the things the progressive uh, audiences love and we recorded two albums and had Fantastic responses to them. We we um, we sold on Bandcamp. We wouldn't put anything on iTunes. We wouldn't put anything on um, on Spotify mm. because we wanted the money back. You know, we'd invested several thousand, and um, mm. and we sold about a thousand copies. Now a thousand copies for an unknown band that ain't bad. You know, and it it subsidised what we were doing. But unfortunately, like with anything, um, the, the singer, Lucy, God bless her, she's a fantastic vocalist. She, she just started believing in the press mm. and, and then she, she became, you know, her kind of ego grew. Mm. And, um, and it, was, it was getting problematic for us. So uh, we'd come back, we'd done a festival in France and I said to the rest of the guys, "She's going to have to go." So we voted on it, hmm. and uh, two of us wanted her gone, one wanted her to stay, and one abstained. And of course, that guy abstaining meant that, you know, she had, she had to go. And we had several dates lined up, but I I didn't. There wasn't any point in take, finishing off the dates with her because it's not, it's not doing our future any good so god bless nigel i rang him up and i said nigel we've got a gig next week and we didn't even have a, a proper rehearsal and then we went out and did a gig and how did he learn all that so quick well he did a bit with um he had a discrete computer uh yeah you know, sorry discrete uh screen
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah lyrics, that he, so. he could view yeah. but you know what that shows how bloody strong he is because we got hammered in, in the in the press we got hammered uh, you know in the the prog rock I'll press honest, you know, it's I, like, I, oh.
0: I, I did see that. i did see some of that and it was quite vindictive wasn't it it was quite kind of oh, spiteful yes. stuff you know yeah how dare you sort of thing you know
1: you know and it's like oh you know nigel's not as good as the you know the female vocalist yeah. it will be the end of them and stuff like that and um and but, you know but you have to be detached from everything I don't take anything personally anymore because um, my whole business in when I'm producing or working with artists, it's a psychology. Um, so you have to understand why people are saying things, you know, and 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 why, you know, why are they being so vindictive? It's about them. All we were doing was like, well, we've got a gig, we're going to have a go. So now that we're we're working on the third album. It will mean that Nigel can now put his own stamp on it, yeah. and you know we've had a good period of time away, and uh, for me that's the challenge. It's it's the challenge to make another fantastic album, mm. and um, and hope that it does it does better. You know.
0: So not, I mean, Nigel's got that absolutely. Um operatic type range. He's got a fantastically high voice if needed, hasn't he? You know, he, 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 his range is phenomenal. He, he can carry that stuff off like probably not many others, I would have thought.
1: Yeah, he's very theatrical. And mm. the one thing I love about Nigel's voice, right, is it, it will split people's view. They're, they either hate it or they think it's magnificent. Yeah. And I've always thought it was magnificent. I love the theatrics of it. And when you're talking about an eccentric, progressive rock band, then, you know, his voice is perfect for it. And um, yes, you know, I want to get him back writing again and doing the stuff because I cannot tell you how prolific he was mm. in in the early days. It was frightening, you know. He was writing so much, you know. But once you come away from the business for a few years, because he, he ran a successful uh, media company, and you know, and of course his you know living was great, and then. The hunger of the music possibly, you know, waned a bit, but now he's got the hunger back, which is, yeah, you know, is he, exciting.
0: Is he still working for that? Is he working in printing now? Is that right? Is he still doing that?
1: No, he's he's retired now, oh, and he, he, he retired he, just he retired just at the right time great. so that he could um, oh, take brilliant. up the thing of uh, the voters. But of course, you know, mm. then bloody, um, uh, you know, the the COVID thing happened, and then yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Well, when we were talking about that a little bit earlier on, we'll maybe come back to that. Just to say one story, uh, Danny, while you're there, which I don't, I doubt you remember this. It must have been 1982. I think it was the Welsh Band uh, Rock Festival, which was at top rank at that time. And I think you were playing yeah. in Singapore. I think you were playing in Singapore. Would that be right? Was it you in Singapore? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yes. yes.
0: So, so you, you're either in the heat or in the final. And some 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 drunken maniac in the audience... I'm not sure whether it was you or whether it was Nigel, but they got on they top got a, they got a top of snare drum and they're taking like, you know, all, all of the bit in the middle there and they were hanging it over somebody's head in the band and I came up and dragged them off. And They must have thought I was a security guy or something. Oh, that's not fair, you know, doing that to the band. you know. <laughs> Do you have any recollection of that at all? That was a hell of a I... long time ago. I still remember
1: that, yeah. Because what, what was the band you were in?
0: Uh, at the time, it would have been maybe... Um, oh my god! Which band? Lem- no, what band would it have been? Um, ah, that's a good question. Um, m- may have been a band with a ridiculous name at the time. Might have been Mister Middleton's Garden Band at the time. Right. Okay. Thirty-eight years ago, yeah. But uh, were
1: you ever in the key? Were you in the key club? Glee club. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. That was a good band with. The- with Nick Mer Murk- Nick, yeah, Nick on drums.
0: Nick yeah. Mercat, yeah, yeah, he's an excellent drummer. He was the, the only drummer I, I've ever worked with. He used to charge me to play. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I thought Nick I thought Nick Mercat was a fabulous drummer. I did. Oh yeah, absolutely. And fantastic, um, yeah, he, he was, and, and I liked him as a person. But we're we're doing a radio show, uh, a live radio show uh, in BBC Wales. I don't know. They used to put it something like the orange box or something yeah yeah. i used to put it on a on a saturday morning
0: yeah rob brydon was it i think maybe and alan thompson
1: oh okay i think so okay yeah. so so i'm i'm um working with a band called paul Weston, who since oh yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Departed. I, I, I i liked paul he was a yeah. he was a funny but blo- and a great songwriter i did like him so nice voice i was producing him at the time and putting the tracks together and um we were gonna rehearse Friday night, the night before the show, because we're playing live on radio. It's always nerve-wracking playing live. Yeah. And uh, Nick Murcott, we get a call from Nick Murcott, and he's up in, he's up in London, and he's, he's producing a band up there. And he said, uh, li- listen, he said, I can't, I can't make rehearsals, I'll, um, but I'll be there tomorrow morning for the show. And I said, Nick, that, that can't happen. I said, you either come down and rehearse or you stay in London and I'll get a debt. And he said, no, no, no. He said, don't worry about it. I'll be there for the show. You know, I know the track. I said, oh, Nick, you stay in London and produce or you come back and you rehearse. Uh, And he said, well, I've got to stay up here. And I said, well, that's fine. You're not coming down tomorrow. You're not playing with us. And of course, I get off the phone. Several things that I've learned, right? I'm never going to be held ransom when something's in the book and we've all arranged it, I'm not gonna be held ransom by a player, no matter how great they are. Because, you know, they let you down once, they're gonna let you down all the time. And this business is hard enough anyway. And it, it, even today, I live by it, you know, it's like this business is tough. And if you wanna stay in it, you have got to be professional and fulfill. And if you can't fulfill, you find someone to fill your place that's of your same caliber but you don't, you know, you don't mess up what we're doing. So of course I got off the phone and I thought, shit, I haven't got a drummer uh, for tomorrow and we're rehearsing tonight. Yeah. And I managed to get in touch with Greg Haver.
0: Oh yeah, well, there we go.
1: And you know, it's, it's end of game because Greg, you know, he says, uh, send me over the tracks, I'll learn them. I can't remember whether he rehearsed that night or whatever, but I, I think he may have done and glanced over the tracks Come the, uh, come the Saturday morning of the show, Greg sits in, seamless, nothing goes wrong. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know about the connection with, uh, with Nick, Nick Mercut. Yeah, know yeah. What, have you seen what he's doing these days? By the way? Do you, have you caught up I, on what he's doing these days? He's, he's kind of like no, a, I don't know. He's like a top academic I, don. He's got some incredible job with some ridiculously expensive, you know, <laughs> educational establishment to do with like um like conservatoire kind of stuff with
1: music you know yeah, i did like him though and i loved his drumming i also yeah. loved the key club i thought i thought the key club were very classy really you oh, know
0: thanks uh, yeah we, we never made it but there we are never mind um but uh talking about bands and being good at what you do of course your, your current project I noticed that you're working with people like Lynn Phillips and uh, what's the name of that female vocalist you were working with yesterday I'm trying to remember her name
1: oh Jane Williams yeah.
0: yeah 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 so you're working
1: with some good people I am I'm, I'm, um, one of the things that, that's a good time frame at the moment is that a lot of the major artists aren't recording at the moment you know because there's no point mm. which means that they're not even looking at the moment sort of like uh, hard for material for their new albums because they, they put their new albums on the back burner you know or they may be working on them kind of remotely so my brother wrote this song and he wrote it um, God, about four years ago and it's a really good song um, and I started to sort of like demo it up and got, got in some good players. And I've now got two artists that I'm pitching it to. Um, one is a male and one is a female. And I got Lin in to do the, um, the male vocal. I'd never worked with Lin before. Mm. And um, although I'd known him, you know, tentatively, you know, years ago, I, I was never sort of like familiar with his work and stuff. And it was Pete Matheson, because i had been working with Pete Matheson. And, um, Pete and I are doing a project together, and, he, and I, was, I was scouting for a vocalist, and he said, well, you know, Lynn could be good for this. So I got Lynn in, and uh, it was, luckily he was down in West Wales at the time. Oh my God, he's got this massive voice. Yeah, It's like, it, it fills the track, and it's like, it's fantastic. It's, it's almost a cross between, I don't know, it's like... Uh, Rod Stewart, Tina Turner, a little bit of Morty thrown in. Unbelievable. Yeah. And um, so he did the track, the male version. Then I sent it over to Jane. I said, you know, I need to do the female version. And she said, um, oh, I, I, you know, it's in G. I can do it in G, but I'd rather it, uh, you know, it go up a key. So we took yeah. it up to B flat mm. because the vocalist is going to sell that song. Right, whoever you get, when you're pitching to a major artist, your vocalist is key to everything. Mm. So I have to find the key that's that's great for them to be able to, to sell the song. So I've got to mix those and um and uh and get those. But that they're very middle of the road tracks. But um mm. the other the other thing that I I wanted to do is that I found that I'm a I'm a kind of radio two type producer now so all those legacy artists and and the middle of the road artists or the country artists folk artists i am perfect for you know that's i love that working with real musicians and biking real things up
0: yeah
1: but the money um is still in pop music but of course pop culture it's a youth culture uh so my manager said look he said you can still write good songs, he said, but your your production's too old-fashioned, you know? So he said, if you want to write songs, he said, work with a a younger producer, unless, unless Dan, you want to listen to Radio 1 all day. So um, I got in touch with Luke Jones. Do you know Luke Jones from no, uh, no. Clear, Clearwater Music? I think he used to be part of Warwick Hall, not Ring a Bell, no? Okay, yeah, yeah. Right, Luke was a DJ, so he understands beats. He also listens to Radio 1, and uh, he is really uh, very professional and always comes back. So I had a meeting with him um, up in Galway, but nothing nothing really happened because, you know, I wasn't kind of ready for it. Then anyway, I did this track... Uh, this is last year, called Me Too. So this is my first oh,
0: yeah.
1: forage into working with a, you know, a younger producer. So I sent over my thing that sounded like an old man using Garage Band, you know, with the song.
0: Hey, come and, on, um, come, don't have a do have a go at me in public now. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to get me. So, um,
1: <laughs> so I sent this over to Luke, and Luke comes back. And I hardly recognized the track. Now, the one thing you've got to do is you've got to, first of all, get over the shock that someone has, like, taken your song and redone it. And you think to yourself, right, that's how he's seeing the song. And I've got to get over myself. I've got to stop worrying about it. This is purely business.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I sent this track up to Jim, and uh, he said... uh, this is a good start, and he took it into Sony, and they had a meeting with it. And Sony said, "Oh, this could be a big summer hit." So, like, this is my first go with uh, with Luke. And um, of course, the you have to hit the timing right. I mean, COVID, you know, really stuffed it to us because really, mm. you know, we we just couldn't move on with it. And of course when we come out of it, that track will now be old. Sony would have listened to another thousand tracks and Sony will say, Oh, it's going to be a big summer hit. Oh, it's going to be a big summer hit. So, you know, that's how it uh, goes on. So last week we sent another track. This is our second track up to Jim Mm. and Jim comes back on the phone straight away. He said, this is it. He said, this is the best stuff you've written. And once again, it's Luke who's, who's done all the arrangements and, uh, and has, you know, and has written half the lyrics in, in a kind of speak that I wouldn't understand, you know, the modern street speak or whatever. And then we've got a list of artists who it's going to go to. But then Jim came back to me this week, and and you know when you're in the right area. He said, listen, we need to change some lyrics. So uh, we're now back where Luke is changing the lyrics so that we, we then get to the next stage. Now, yeah. the interesting thing about modern music, and, and I am going to... Uh, write about this because i think that a lot of people um because they they get frustrated when they don't understand what the business is we don't sell product anymore in the original uh, sense no one buys a cd you know in the young market right it's all streaming so in the old days producers used to get a percentage of uh the um the retail price or or the uh, uh what's it the uh, sorry wholesale price sorry so you used to get a percentage anything from three to you know depending on how big you are to 16 percent or whatever but that doesn't happen now so you start with a song and this is where songwriters have to understand Mm. you start with a song the song goes to someone who's going who's going to want to publish it because the artist they want to push it to Are published by them so straight away you're parting with percentages on the publishing before you even get anywhere else so you think okay you started with 100% now you have 75% then you get to the artist and the artist says I love this song how much are you going to give me percentage wise for me singing your song because I'm gonna make your song a hit and without that publisher sending it to me and, and me singing it you're not going to get anywhere so all of a sudden another 25% comes off or even more depending on the size of the artist so you're down to 50% then a producer comes in and the producer says well I can't make any money but my you know I'm bringing my 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 best kick drum and my best snare drum sound and I'm going to come in and I'm I need a percentage so you then lose another 10% then there's another guy who raps and he's like oh he's the coolest rapper in the world but he comes in and like, once you've got him rapping on the track, then it sells more units. You say, well, I'm rapping on the track. I've just added, uh, uh, baby. I've just added that. That's going to be another 10, 15%. So you get to a point where you started with a song and all of a sudden you've got six other people all co-writing this song with you. If you can get over that, then you can make money. But a lot of songwriters can't get that through their head. They'll say, but this is my song. What are you doing? But Once you detach yourself, and if you get two hits, then the industry comes to you, say, have you got any more tracks? And that's when you start to really take off. But in all fairness, my pop writing career was dead and buried until Jim suggested I work with a producer until I met Luke work Luke so Luke has been a breath of fresh air
0: so you've got publishing deals now though have you Danny still
1: yeah no I'm completely publishing free which allows me Hmm. to be able to you know work out okay you know you've got when I was signed to Zomba I was signed to Zomba as a writer for um six or seven years and I I had about six six covers with them Never really made a fortune, but I had six uh, artists cover my track, and um, and then I started getting a lot of TV work myself. But of course, Zomba were taking fifty uh, percent of that. Oh
0: uh, yeah.
1: So uh, they were paying me in advance, but then I started earning more money, and I didn't need the advance anymore. You know. So um, Jim, my manager now, who was at uh, he he was a Rocket Record and um he then came to zomba and then left zomba to go and work with elton john full time and he then uh, got me out of my contract with zomba and uh he then has been my business manager 30 30 odd years and 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 a huge mentor to me you know yeah
0: well that that's that, that's um gold dust isn't it to have somebody like that work, working with you um couple of quick questions for you then um is there any point in a
1: publishing deal these days? Um, if that publishing deal, if that, if that publisher is actively working your stuff and you have a great meeting with them and they pay you something that they say, okay, um, we're going to, uh, you know, advance you a couple of thousand pounds so that you can then concentrate on your writing. Um, with Zomba, I had to present them with ten killer songs a year which meant that if I wrote 40 they would then pick the songs that they wanted so that was quite good also I had a a reversal so that if they didn't suppose I wrote a track and they didn't they didn't get a cover in it for you know a cover on it for 18 months to two years I could then um, get the publishing back and and then work it myself, or at least the, the publishing would be free. Um, you just have to weigh it up. I mean, I know some people have got publishing deals, and they're doing very well. Um, for me, I just prefer to stay publishing free and then sign, assign rights whenever I feel like it, you know, and, and if someone's got a good in for me, you know?
0: Yeah, okay. Um, that's good, good advice. It's been really interesting, actually. You talked about a whole bunch of things, which has given a real kind of breadth what we've been talking about. Um, So the the studio you're in now then the grain store, so just um, briefly could you talk us through it from when you first saw this piece of land with this these building bits on it and turn it into what it's become and you know what the studio
1: is these days? Okay we when we were in Herefordshire um, the house was quite expensive to run and uh, you know and, and the music business is like you know you you haven't got a guaranteed uh, cash flow and you're all you know particularly with me i'm working um, if i'm working in foreign territories i'm two years ahead of my money so if i write something today and it goes on television tomorrow um in different territories i, I maybe won't get my royalties for two years and then if someone hasn't written the right name down then you may have to wait another year while you fight it out and say where's my royalties so hmm. i needed to you know and i i just needed to to have uh, less outgoings so we we sold the house and i wanted to go down to cornwall or devon and be closer to the sea <laughs> the thing with devon and Cornwall. A, it's really expensive. The closer you get to the sea, it gets expensive. You also get light pollution. You also get more people, and I'm not a great lover of masses of people. I like to be remote. And um, and also in North Devon, you may look at a beautiful house, but you can always hear some kind of road. It's like as if you're close to a motorway or something that you can't get away from this noise. And I, I vowed never go back to Wales again, because my i would had a lot of great times in Wales, a lot of big business in Wales, but it also held a lot of not so great memories for me. And I kind of wanted to um, you know, cut away from that. So Helen, she shows me this picture of this house uh, and it's got an outbuilding. It's got 14 acres of land and it's got a river running through the land which means that that's my water. I need to be near water. And the river, it's a little river, but it goes right outside the front door and doesn't flood. So I said, oh my God, this looks incredible. And it was in our price range. And she said, it's in Carmarthenshire. I thought, oh, is it? (laughs) Okay, so we'll go down and have a look. Came in, saw the barn, thought that's my studio, saw the land, saw the river, wasn't even interested in the house. The house is not the big thing for me. It's about the other things that raise my spirit. So we went ahead and bought it. The the one thing is that the bloke selling to us kept us out of the house for six weeks. So I put everything in storage and thought that um, we'd only be out for two days. And uh, we were out for six weeks. So we were bouncing around rentals waiting to get into this place Mm -hmm. and we we started to explore the welsh coastline and and getting to know the welsh people it's all welsh speaking down here which is which is lovely and you know you you have to give respect to the you know we're non-welsh people coming into a welsh speaking so we're learning a few phrases and we just want to be part of the the community which which is really lovely it's a farming community.
0: You, you want to, well, learn, we got learn, to learn the phrase, Danny? It is a Welsh, Welsh phrase you should learn. Yeah, please don't burn my house down. Which is? Please don't burn my house down. Well, yeah, I don't don't <laughs> <laughs> Those days are gone. Those days are gone.
1: Controversial. Um, yes. So uh, we started to explore the whole of the coastline, Welsh coastline, and. Mm. Because I've never been down this west before, I never realized how glorious it is. It's like the best countryside in the world. Mm. And all this I've been missing. Because for me, it was like either the Vale, Porth Call, or Swansea. I thought that, that was that was being near the sea. But
0: yeah,
1: it's wonderful down here. And the people are wonderful. There's such an ease of life. And um and you know, I'm I'm so drawn to it. But um I had when we moved into the house, I had a budget of £20,000 that I was going to spend on the studio, uh, which is not a great deal of money, but um, uh, for building a studio anyway. But there was so much wrong with the house that my budget got swallowed up in the house, which is why I then had to labour for a local builder. And I, uh, Helen and I did a, an awful lot ourselves, just labouring and putting it together. But it it's very much part of us. You know, the studio feels... Um, you know, as though we've had something to do with it. And the other thing that's important for a studio for me is I want it to feel like the best place you've ever been. So when I worked in, um, when I recorded in uh, Rockfield, Rockfield had that real chemistry, that real magic. I love that feeling of it. And Ridge Farm and a couple of other great studios. You just felt creative as soon as you went in there. And I wanted this place to be like that. I've done no soundproofing it's all just the stone wow. and the room sounds fantastic.
0: Yeah I noticed with um, the, the, the video with, with Lynn Phillips he was in the live room and you can just imagine that beautiful kind of uh, natural reverb you're going to get.
1: Yeah it's uh, it's it is it's, it's fantastic and, and the room is big enough to take you know seven or eight musicians you know comfortably there's a, a drum area where I've got the drum kit set up uh, a piano, a hammond organ, which is great, um, and uh, it's you know when when artists come down, they love it. Um, we've had a couple of artists that uh, that have been here that um, that won't allow me to put any social media up. I, I, I like to sort of like let people know who's been down here. A couple of people uh, won't have that, and you know we respect their uh, their privacy. You know, because they don't want They don't want people knowing that they're in Wales or whatever at that, that time. But you know, and I find that I find that interesting. And and we we put them up in the house. Uh, we so we can be residential. We have three rooms in the house, and Helen does all the catering and the bed and breakfast side. And we just try and make it like this this family. You know,
0: sounds absolutely beautiful. Uh, fantastic! What what a, what a great lifestyle. I'm I'm envious of you, uh, get getting that together. But however. You have come through, as we all have, this ridiculously um, difficult um, trying period, you know this the kind of the, the lockdown period you said you, you said you, you're quite busy at the moment, but you know how how, is it, how has it been for you coming through that, and how do you see things moving forward
1: okay I've got a couple of views on this. obviously, my business stopped as well um, I'm fortunate to have royalties, so the royalties will keep me. Going through the the non-earning period, but now we're you know so some studio work has come in, and I'm working with artists, so that's that's kind of bread and butter mm-hmm. stuff. When the when we first got da- down into lockdown, I came up with this idea, and maybe I'm too early, or maybe I've got it wrong completely. Only other people can tell me, but. Um, I, do, I do some work with a streaming company and they're high-end streaming. So it's, you know, HD, correct sound and everything like that. So after the first two or three weeks of lockdown, I thought to myself, there's going to be a lot of old people, older people who, who buy tickets for, for shows and things, mm-hmm. for legacy artists. They're going to think twice about going back out they're not going to want to be in a in a crowded theater younger people you know i think you know i think it'll go back to some kind of normality mm-hmm. but at the moment there's no shows doing and so i wanted to do streaming but do streaming like uh, it would be a performance like the old grey whistle test. Do you remember the old grey whistle test? Yes, yes. I yes. say this to to younger people, and they they don't know what I'm talking about. So, yeah. but it's where it's an intimate studio uh, performance. So it's not like you're not in in a living room on a on an iPhone, and you know, and it's crap sound. You hire a place, something like acapella cappella could do it so you've got no audience you have a legacy act like suppose you had yes so you could say to yes right um you know they they have like millions of uh of supporters over the the globe and you say to those supporters would you pay 10 pounds for an exclusive mm.
0: uh
1: show with yes like an old grey whistle test, performing, they could just be round a circle, be very intimate. Would you pay 10 pounds a ticket for that? And of course, many of them would. Then, would you pay an early bird ticket where you pay extra money, and then you could chat to yes. While they're performing, you've got a chat line, so you're getting uh, fans talking to each other, you're building up um, a a base of what people like and what they, they don't like. So that's a band like Yes performing. Then another area, you then have a band that's gigging. The band that's lost its income completely by gigging no, um, no income whatsoever. And you either have them on a donate button so that, that they can get some income from that and it's not disturbing Yes's income. And then you have another area where you have new music. New music that hasn't been discovered. And that's with a donate button. Now, the idea that I had was that it would be a large band supporting a gigging band and giving them a platform who are then giving a person who's got no chance of getting into the business, you give them all an opportunity to earn. I thought it was a great idea. I got in touch with... um, uh, a guy who writes for The Guardian, and he thought it was a great idea as well. And I'd done the deal with the, the streaming company, and you would bring in um, a team of four or five cameras, live vision mixers, and you would do the show in a great quality. So he said it was a great idea. Now I rang Jeff down from yes. <laughs> I said, Jeff, do you think, do you think yes would be interested in this? He said, Sounds like a good idea, Dan. But I'll I'll have a word with the guys and I'll have a word with the manager. So a week later, Jeff got back and he said, "Do you know, Dan? We're we're not going to do it. We don't, you know, the management. We don't quite see it. And obviously, uh, you know, several of them live in the states. So I could see it would be, you know, quite a feat for them to put it together." So I I said, "Okay." So then um, I thought, but I still think it's a great idea. I'd seen that Genesis had. They had sold out one arena, but then had uh, half the tickets returned by people thinking, I don't want to go to the next show because, you know, COVID's still around. And Steve Hackett isn't in Genesis, but Steve Hackett does great business. So um, I know John is brother. So I rang John up and I said, do you think, John, do you think Steve would be interested in this, you know? He said, oh, I'll ask him, I'll get Steve to get him. Touch with you, so I explained to Steve what it was. I said, you know, this, you know, the Steve Hackett band. You know, even if you have like I don't know thirty thousand people paying ten pound, that's still a great payday, and you're in one venue. You're not touring or anything like that. And uh, he came straight back and he said, No, I, uh, I'm a bit busy at the moment. I, you know, so I'm, you know, I like the idea, but it's not going to work for him. So I'm now flailing around thinking this, this idea just won't work. So I then got in contact with the manager of Caravan, because Caravan is still touring. And he got straight back to me, he said, this is a brilliant idea. He said, this is just what we need to do. I'll speak to the band about it. And that was about three months ago and I haven't heard of Dickie Bird since. Wow. But it
0: seems it's, like a no like brainer, you know,
1: mm. obviously. But to me it does, but, yeah. um, I, you know, I can't understand. I don't think, I don't think people can get their heads round that it's a different performance. It's, uh, you know, it's not, you you're not wearing your bell bottom trousers and coming out and going, you know, you are oh, having to, um, perform in a different, in a different way. It's a... <laughs> I love all that. But it. It's a different way of performing. And, um, I still think it has
0: legs but yeah, I think it's a fantastic idea good idea I, uh, you know um Tony is obviously running running Keep Cardiff Live and we talk about ideas all the time, and of course, acapella is not far yeah. from us. It's a lovely venue. I can see why you choose it, you know it's so kind of photogenic, isn't it?
1: yeah, it is,
2: so it could work.
0: I don't know Tony, do you want to come on that at all?
2: Yeah, you say that um we were thinking of doing the same for an a acapella last year a-, a similar sort of thing with a the heritage um artist because that's a perfect setup for it because there's a studio there as well uh yeah. the, the idea was to film it so i think there are, i think your idea is brilliant danny but I, I think there's a lot of these ideas around but it just doesn't seem that it's gelling i mean uh, another thing is like um daryl's house in america which has been going for a long time you know that that kind of works and he i think he did it, it does. he did it really originally on youtube and then i think it went to mtv and stuff so that really worked yeah of course. He's got the pulling power he's got the contacts, and he he did it, and also he had the illness which which made him have to do it as well He, he had Lyme disease, yeah, so I think there's lots of good ideas out there, and to me, this is a way it's gonna go it's it's gonna have to go that way um I really can't see sort of people of my age Steve age you, you know go into a lot of gigs uh and I used to go along to a lot of gigs and photograph them and stuff as well but you know, you're going to be nervous about it. And also it's not going to be quite the same with the way it's going to be segregated and partitioned off. And, you know, I don't think you're going to get that sort of mosh pit atmosphere unless you're young, you know, and maybe if you're young, you have an attitude. Yeah, you're right. So I think your idea is brilliant. And I think it is going to work. It's just finding the right way for it to work. You know, you can have maybe a few people say no, but I think it's a great idea. You should pursue that more, you know.
1: So, so I'm going I'm to keep, uh, all I need, all I need is one artist to say yes, um, yeah. the, the thing is you have to build uh, a paywall, so that when people, you know, buy their tickets, they come to the paywall, so there, there's a bit of technology behind it, but do you know what, it, it isn't a big deal, you just need someone to say, I'll give it a go. But you know what? The one thing it does mean, though, is it means that the artists will find their true worth because when you uh, I've done promotion in the past. So you will promote a band and you will get to their agent, their agent will say, well, yeah, they want seventy five thousand. And you think, well, I've seen them gigging and, you know, they're not worth seventy five thousand, meaning that they don't bring in seventy five thousand pounds worth of people. And then as you go down the chain, say, uh, you know, to a band like Sweet, um, who I booked in the past, and they are fantastic. But it's only um, is it Andy left, um, yeah. mm-hmm. the guitarist. But they are incredible. And, um, but it's, they're only worth the amount of people, providing you promote correctly, They're ima- their only worth is the amount of people that come in and pay that money. Yeah. And of course, you know, with, with the streaming, it's not me saying, oh, you know, hey, I'm going to pay, um, you know, this band, you know, a £100,000 to go and stream. It's going to be using their fan base. Mm. And, uh, and I think that sometimes that can be frightening, because in the end, it's like, oh my God, how popular are we? And of course, you're going to know by how many people buy the tickets.
2: Yeah, it's a very good point. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, they might even ultimately be some sort of um, at the level you were talking about there, Danny, with the, the sound quality and the visuals and the right setting. Uh, you know, a, a really quite a good good lineup of almost like a, a festival. You know, you yeah, could do couldn't you? You could, you could, you could do that. Maybe if you had two stages, maybe that would work better. But you know, and maybe yeah, yeah. slightly larger venue. But I don't yeah. see why, why that wouldn't work. But in terms, in terms of you and the Grain Store and, and where you're going, you. you you're actually quite busy, aren't you? So, um, you know, has, it, has, it, has there been any surprises which maybe you would say have been slight fringe benefits of what's going on? Is there anything good come out of this at all?
1: Um, for me, I think it, it settled my psyche on the people I want to work with and I'm not going to waste my time anymore so i'll only work with people that a i want right there's two sets of people the people who are going to pay you the money and the people i want to work with and enjoy working being in their company and so because now at my age now i'm i'm 66 now i don't want to waste a minute of my life i don't know how long i've got and my life is um my life here in Carmarthenshire with Helen and music. Music is all-encompassing and I will always um, be involved in music, you know, just before they burn me in a tree or whatever. But that's, so I think the, it settled me in that way. Um, I think after 15 weeks I started getting stir-crazy because I love working with artists. I love working uh, collaboratively, you know, mm. so that's important to me. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. What about
1: you? Have you found it of any benefit to you two?
0: Well, Tony might want to answer that. When you yeah. think it might be an answer there.
2: I mean, in terms of um, the website and Keep Cardiff Live, um, one thing that has worked really well, is this Zoom uh, facility, you know, so... You know, we had a Steve and myself had a little talk about it because we were setting lots of stuff up within Cardiff, which would, would have been live events or would have been um, uh, maybe doing podcasts from a studio, that sort of thing. And then uh, all of a sudden just stopped dead, you know, apart from yeah. my business as well, um, you know, which is involved in music, just stopped dead. So we were left with um, a lot of time on our hands. And we had this sort of discussion, for thought, well, loads of musicians or the people in the music industry are going to be in the same situation. They're going to be available. So we started just making up a list of people we wanted to talk to. We found interesting or, or were involved in the Cardiff scene or involved in music in general. And, and so it did benefit us from that point of view is that people were available and they wanted to talk, you know, <laughs> a lot of them were going stir crazy. You know, I think we all were. Um, so th- that was an advantage from that point of view, but for our future projects and stuff, it is restrictive uh you know if we want to we want to do something live then you know that's pretty much out in its its old format um but it's made us kind of think out of the box a bit you know and i think that's what a lot of musicians are having to do is to think well how can i get this to work how can i do this um so it was good from that point of view but particularly with the vodcast that we're doing and you know and also like yourself uh, having an interview with yourself and lots of the musicians and producers. I mean, Greg Havers, we spoke to in New Zealand, that was fantastic. Uh, and to get their opinions as well. It's really worked well from that point of view and hopefully it'll continue. So it did bring about a bit of an interaction because of the restrictions of COVID. Yeah, definitely.
1: I think that um, in life you have to adapt and um, the i 've had to adapt to the music industry and and what what happens with a lot of the older artists, a lot of the older legacy artists I work with they don't know how it's changed they, they can't understand how it's changed no, It's a record company you know what's bandcamp Bandcamp just looks like selling to your mates it doesn't have that um, you know that huge machine behind it what What do you mean i've got to do social media? what are you talking about and you know these these guys have lost it. The other thing, um, and this comes back to the recording, is that you are now getting people who file share. Now I have got no no issues with file sharing, but the reason I have to have a separate studio is that if you've got a guitarist, you know, because I know what it's like when I when I had a studio in the house years ago. It's like you're working on something. It's like, oh Danny, can you put the bins out? And it's like. You know, I'm halfway. I've got an idea. You know, you know. Oh, remember they're coming for lunch, and (laughs) now I find that you know, guitarists are kind of doing their solo uh, on their way to the bathroom to clear out the bloody uh, washer or whatever, and and you don't have that where it's purely creative. You know, Mm. you're in a, a a room that no one's going to disturb you. No one's going to tap that door and say, "Take the bins out," because it's work, it's business. And, you know, you get a lot of people who will, like, overdo their parts of a, of a track because they haven't worked it out in the studio with another guy and said, look, oh, if I play that chord, can you do that? So you, you just get this bundle of files that, that have sometimes been badly engineered, because, you know, I've, I've been presented with a lot of stuff, and I've had guys come down and they said, look, you know, we, we've done this, you know, can you, can you mix it? And I look at it and I think, God, no, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to take all that shit off first before we even get to the song, you know? And, and so, you know, the I know last, I'm being hard. That's the here. last
0: time I'm sending you anything. It's <laughs> 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 the end of my career, man.
2: It, it is true, though, I think that. <laughs> I think what we're all missing is that interaction it's like when you get four musicians in a in a in a room you're guaranteed some really dodgy jokes you know and, and so yes. and in some interesting stories about well i remember this guy this happened like 10 years ago and then when you get down to the music it's bit it's it's where the, the magic happens isn't it because you'll play something yes. and then someone else will say that's a great idea, but why don't we try this? And the instant you think, I hate him because he's trying to change what I've just created. And then when you do it, you think, actually, I love him because he's a genius. So there's that, always that symbiosis going on with musicians that, you know, you know that this interaction. Uh, and we're all a little bit precious what we're playing. But when we get together, something magical happens and the ideas bounce around. And that's when you get something that is really interesting. Yeah.
1: It does. And just to sort of finish up on that point is that everyone has the same software these days and everyone ha- has the same sounds. So, um, when I'm doing, uh, anybody that comes here, you know, with the Hammond, right? Do you know, there are an incredible set of Hammond samples that you can get from anywhere and any instrument sample, they're fantastic, wonderfully recorded, beautiful. But my grubby little Hammond in there, you put a mic in front of it and it sits in the mix and it it coughs and spits, but that is the magic. And you get real drums and they're not as clean sounding as those ones on the sample or from, you know, ultimate drum player or whatever it is, or the, you know, you get a banjo player in that, uh, you know, sometimes he's like squeezing some of the the strings or they, they, they pinch, but you don't get that on a banjo sample. No, you get beautiful, clean, and it's everything's so clean, and then becomes smaller. Mm. You know, and you only have to have five instruments, five live instruments that have had a mic in front of them on a track, and they fill this track with great stuff. And it's um, and the, the oh my my other pet hate is engineers. Engineers are always like oh compression, compression. Oh my God, I am tired of that word. Should we use more compression? What what are you talking about? I get a vocalist in there. I never put a vocalist through compression because you're changing the sound immediately. And once it's gone onto tape or the the door, there's nothing you can do about it. So I do everything without compression, even drums. Mm. And people are horrified by it. But then I'll maybe compress a little coming out. Mm. But I just want to get the pure sound Onto the system so you know everything is so compressed these days you Mm. get waveforms that are like blocks no dynamics Mm. i'm on a soapbox i'm going to shut up
0: (laughs) (laughs) well um it's a it's a it's a very entertaining soapbox um it's been a great conversation it's really really interesting to hear i've learned loads about you that i didn't even know to be honest danny i know you've done a lot but I've, i've learned loads um i'm really um happy that you found this place uh, the grain store and it seems to be going so well for you it looks like a beautiful location and
1: yeah I'm really it is, yeah great for you uh, uh, it's it, great and it thank looked, you for that Stephen uh, no look it I've looked, really enjoyed the conversation good. thanks thanks to both yeah. of you how come it took you so long to find me <laughs>
0: well you know you're coming, commanding show yeah come on
1: we got a on. bit lost
2: yeah
0: we went down the wrong lane but um just just to say a couple of things if it's anything you want to promote at any stage or any of the act you're working with and you know by all means please you know come back to keep cardiff live and we happy Get to any, do any stuff for you uh, have a look around the site as well because there'll be loads of people on there you'll you'll know i mean die shell was on okay. there the week, he was absolutely fantastic
1: you know? i i saw that and well god die shell Fantastic.
0: There's, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a, Wales is a relatively small place, I suppose, but there's enough really interesting characters in there with stories about music to make it, to make it really, really worthwhile.
1: Yeah. So, no, definitely. And you know, I love being here, Steve, and I've, uh, I've a lot, I've got a lot of great friends here, and, um, and I also admire what you guys are doing because it's, it's coming back from that kind of of roots level and starting, starting from scratch, and it's that old thing and it: build it and they will come. And it's like, uh, you know, you're becoming a lifeline to artists, and um, you know, artists need loads of outlets. So uh, I'm doffing my cap to you both.
0: Thanks, Danny. Thank you, Danny. Thank you very much elchi it's yyfm.com
1: thanks for listening to yyfm for more content like this to follow us online and to tell us what you want to hear more of visit it's yyfm.com.